0: Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Audio-Technica, Loughton Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 162. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. Here we are, episode 162. That's what you're listening to in case you're multitasking and doing something else, and that's totally fine if you are looking at your phone, driving a car, as long as you're not doing those things at the same time. Maybe you're driving across a long stretch of highway. Maybe you're driving across a bridge. Uh, Maybe you're making a delivery. Maybe Maybe you're driving to your next gig. I don't know. But thanks for having me with you. In the car, on the phone, wherever it is you're listening, welcome. So h- here we are, episode 162. I have a fantastic guest for you. I have John Carr, Bay Area engineer extraordinaire who's been around since 1988. He's been around since, as long as I have been here. That's, a, that's great. Oh my God, his credit list is immense. Absolutely immense. Here's the thing. John works in the studio and he works in live sound. He tours, he works at various venues in the Bay Area, and you know... I got some cool credits, but John has like, I don't know, 10 times those credits. He has worked in all different genres. You name the genre, he's worked in it. And I'm going to just throw some names out here. Um, let's see. The Black Eyed Peas, Most Deaf, Death Cab for Cutie, Camper Van Beethoven, Cracker. Uh, who else? Brian Jonestown Massacre, Eamon Tobin, Cat 5, uh, Chick Korea, John McLaughlin, Mike Stern, and Dennis Chambers, Stanley Clark. Uh, King Sonny Ade, uh, Davatchka, Steel Pulse, Black Uhuru, Zulu Spear. Uh, let's see, the old '97s, the Bad Plus, Zigaboo Modeliste, famous Zigaboo of the Meters, Merle Saunders, Reverend Horton Heat. Yeah, amazing. John has worked with a lot of people, a ton of people. So uh, he is my guest coming up, and uh, we've uh, we've worked on getting him on for a little while. As you could tell by those credits, he's busy. He's always working with people. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how he just takes gig after gig after gig. And as a result, he's uh, he's quite good at what he does. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen him. Last time I saw him, and I think we discussed this. Yeah, we do discuss this in the interview, where the last time I saw him was, I think, at the Independent uh, in San Francisco. I was there to see uh, Daniel Lanois. So that's it. John Carr coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast. So it is the week of Nam. That's right. If you're listening to this the week this show comes out, it's the week of NAM, January 22nd. Do you guys start the week on a Sunday or a Monday? I started on a Monday. So anyhow, Monday is the 22nd, and uh, that's when this show comes out. So if you're at NAM, come by, say hi, find me. I'll be over at the uh, McDSP booth on Friday at 3 o'clock. I'll be over at the uh, Audio-Technica booth randomly throughout the four days, as well as the Universal Audio booth. Uh, I'll be stopping by over at Focal and Lawton Audio, all the sponsors. Uh, Jules from Gearsluts will not be there from what I understand, but uh, he is sending a team of folks over there. So I'll probably be uh, saying hello or hanging out with the Gearsluts guys too. So uh, yeah, find me, yeah. And enjoy yourself at Nam. It's going to be a good time. So good news. We are on Spotify. It's taken absolutely forever to get there. I've worked on it for a long time, but we are now there. So, if you are a fan of Spotify to uh, to listen to podcasts or to listen to music, please join me on Spotify. Uh, be a follower, yeah, do that, and uh, that's that's great. I'm really happy about that. We are we are in a number of places. Working Glass Audio can be found on so many different areas. Of course, you know we're on iTunes, we're on TuneIn Radio, we're on Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube, of course. Many of you probably didn't know that, that we were on YouTube. Some video episodes are up there, some are not. But all episodes are up there as audio. So if you happen to be cruising YouTube or you prefer to get audio content from YouTube, some people do. That's why we're up there. So we are on all these places. And uh, please subscribe. Please uh, join us on a regular basis. Add us to your playlists and uh, tell your friends about us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell your friends. Yeah. The show's growing, friends. It's it's amazing. And I, I have to hand it all to you all who listen weekly, who write me, who say fantastic things uh, when you're leaving a review. Uh, it's really great. I appreciate it. It's it's amazing. And we've been going now for a while, and we're almost uh, going to hit about 600,000 downloads to date. Yeah. We're well past the half a million mark, definitely. So, been a good run, and uh, the run will continue. So, appreciate it. Yeah. Keep listening. So, um, Nam, like I said, McDSP booth, 3 o'clock on Friday. That's the 26th, right? 22, 23, 24, 25. Yeah, that's the 26th. Come on by. I'll be there chatting with Colin McDowell, my old high school friend from southern New Mexico. Colin and I went to high school together, and uh, he's, he's quite an amazing dude. He's pretty, uh, that brain of his is just too big, and uh, he makes some fantastic products. So come on by. Say hello to Colin. Uh, they're celebrating 20 years. I mean, come on. You got to give them props. Yeah. Colin's been at it a long time and and those plugins are great. And I'm really, really proud of him. And so we're going to chat. I don't know what we're going to chat about. I'm still, that's still up in the air. So we'll figure it out. Just come on by. We'll celebrate 20 years with Colin McDowell. And uh, what else? What else? Oh yeah. Um, I mentioned the the guys from gear sluts being there. I want to tell you about something here. Um, if you haven't been over there lately, go on over to gear sluts. I'm going there now. Look at just auto fills. I love that. Okay, so I'm I'm heading over there now. Let's say you're like me, and you've uh, I'm going to confess I've got some gear lust. Uh, I've been working over at uh, Sharkbite Studios in Oakland, and um, Ryan over there has made some changes, and he swapped out the Genelec 1031s, and he put in some uh, some barefoots, uh, some MM27s, the generation ones, and uh, he pulled down the NS10s, my 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 crutch, you know, I rely on NS10s. Anyways, he pulled him down. I did a session without him, uh, and it was great. Didn't have to put up the NS tens. I thought that was a, an achievement for myself personally. And then um, I did another session, and after that session, and bringing the the tracks home and listening to what I did, uh, man, I was just like. Damn it. I like those speakers. Those are pretty cool. So um, if you go on over to Gear Sluts and you're thinking, well, okay, maybe I can't afford the MM27s. Maybe I'll have to look at the MM35s. So I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to Gear Sluts. I'm going to hit search gear for sale in their new search engine. And I'm going to say MM35. Yeah, let's look. Anybody selling them? Let's see what we get. And survey says, oh, no, nobody's selling any of those. Oh, that's Gen 2. Let's look for Gen 1s. Nope, none of those either. See, that's the problem. When people get gear that they like, they hold on to it. And I always like to buy used. I have to admit it. I really do. So um, anyhow, um, yeah, check it out. The new search engine over at Gear Sluts allows you to search the post, search the gear for sale. Have a look at it, gearsluts.com. Yep, thanks, Jules. Appreciate that. Also, head on over to Universal Audio. Uh, stop by the booth while you're there. Uh, if you're at Nam. they always have something cool going on. Uh, Fab DuPont is always over there from Pure Mix doing his thing. Uh, doing demonstrations and showing off new gear. And of course, uh, they have a new product out, the Arrow, which is a self-powered new box. So you want to be able to check that out in person if you're there. And if not, you know what, if you're not going to Nam, I don't want want you to have that, you know, feeling like you're left out kind of a thing because there is so much coverage of Nam, You're bound to just get, you know, the the information that you need uh, without all the traveling and without all the... uh, the walking and uh, but I, you know, I gotta go get some steps in, I gotta make it happen. So, there it is. All right, so uh, let's get down to it. John Carr here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. How are you? I'm good, man. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I- I'm, I've been a fan for a long time and um, it's a pleasure to be here. What are your days made up of these days? It's probably my gig world is about 50 50 studio and 50 50 live stuff I'm working over in a variety of venues around town touring going to Europe this summer again very excited about that and um, yeah live sound multi track recording mixing I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades kind of guy so
0: I think the last time I saw you in person other than maybe some industry event was I think I was at uh, the independent to see uh, Daniel Lanois and I think you were there
1: yes as a matter of fact, I just saw Dan a couple of weeks ago playing with, um, I don't know if you remember Venetian Snares. Venetian Snares was kind of like the square pusher of Canada in the 90s, and they have a duet record coming out. That oh. is, that will blow your mind away. It's, it, it was stunning, absolutely stunning. Dan playing uh, pedal steel and this guy doing kind of glitch electronics on the top, <laughs> and it was just it was just on a whole nother world of, of awesomeness
0: he's always fascinating to me he always has been
1: yeah we had uh we had I got to have breakfast with him in the morning and <laughs> it was that was just a trip in itself because he's he's just Dan is his own is his own he's just Dan what can you say
0: <laughs> so you're doing 50 fifty live sound studio work when you said you're touring is that for live sound
1: yeah live sound I actually uh you know January is a slow month and i i just Picked up a really nice gig doing um, a bunch of live sa- live gig mastering of tons of shows that were recorded at Yoshi's, various Yoshi's, the, the Old Claremont one, the Oakland one, and San Francisco with um, the World Saxophone Quartet, Masada with John Zorn, Robbie Coltrane, David Murray. Uh, I, I've just got, this gig just uh, came to me and so just putting it together and. It's great. It's it's
0: We've moved to the Bay Area around the same time you you came did. here in, in 1988 and um uh, you've been around. I mean, you've spent some time at Brilliant, you've spent some time at Old West and of course all these different venues that we both know. Bottom of the Hill, the Fillmore. Oh. I worked at the Fillmore. That was my first job in San Francisco was working at the Fillmore. I'm curious, all the places you've run live sound in the Bay Area, do you have a particular favorite that is just Effortless that you just love being there. I know you like being at all of them, but I mean,
1: you know, they all have their advantages and their challenges. Obviously, it's the band that kind of determines the quality of your night, as well as uh, the independent. I mean, the independent's been a home for me. I was the manager there for about seven and seven and a half years. I worked at that venue when it was the kennel club. So I have a long history in that room doing a show tonight at Bimbo's. I love Bimbo's because it's an all analog situation i mean it's a minus 200 xl and which is mint and the room sounds beautiful uh it's in fairly easy gig there's never more than two bands everything's tidy clean steve is a great manager it's one of my favorite places for sure i have to say and a lot of people would be very surprised but probably technically the best sounding room in the bay area is the rickshaw stop really without question. And it used to be a film studio. So when you walk into the room, I mean, the walls are padded, the ceilings padded. There's no weird flutter echo or anything. The mix position you're standing above the crowd with, uh, some KF, eight uh, fifties in your face. It's, it's as about as close to a, a, um, really a, a recording studio mix like situation as you're going to get. So, I mean, I, I I love it there.
0: Let's stay on the live sound of things for a bit. Um, sure. Tell me about life in the Bay Area, surviving with the economy being what it, what it is like. How have you managed to carve out a living over the years? In terms of, I mean, live sound does it pay well?
1: I'd like to reference Dana Jacobson's interview with you. <laughs> um, it is, you know, honestly, the best. Uh, if you're going to go with a live, being a live engineer touring is where the money's at. Not being a house guy, uh, but being the manager, my pay rate situation was was a lot better. You know, I had full health insurance benefits and all that. The way that I survived, really, whereas a lot of engineers are specialty engineers. You know, they're only doing metal, or they're like Bob Rock. You know, only a, a rock guy. you He's not going to do a Alice Coltrane record or something. I took whatever gig I could, and I I made my way through it. Whether it was a voiceover. For a children's cartoon, I wrote the music for Spider-Man, for Sega, when it first came out, mastering, live sound, equipment repair. I I just maximized all of my work opportunities, and if I didn't know it, I hit the manual, faked my way through it, got advice, went online, and that's the way that that I was able to own the studio and keep going. But really, um, doing one or the other was not really going to pay the bills in full. So that's why I, I spread out and I just kind of took whatever I could and, um, became, you know, pretty diverse in that way.
0: I was going to say, so not only not diversity, but, um, well, diversification, uh, whether it's genre diversification or, or job diversification, cause some people, you know, they, they will say voice, I don't do voiceovers. I don't even know how that's, that's beyond me or that's below me or whatever, I only do, you know, uh, German kraut rock. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, speaking of which, uh, the record I did last
1: year, I did a record with Faust live at the chapel, which I ended up then going and singing with them at a festival. And it was the first time I sang on stage in like 10 years. And I uh, had a 12-minute solo of singing French-Arabic music. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. Who knew? But, you know... Everything that, everything that you learn at one stage, uh, which you think might not be relevant seven years later, you know, that task, Mm -hmm. everything's a a tool under your belt. I happen to like Indian music and French, Arabic music, and I kind of, I've practiced it and here I am, I did the record with them and they're like, why don't you come and sing with us? And I walk out and boom. Boom. 450 millisecond delay. Nice hall reverb. Johnny gets to go. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: You actually got a start and I'm, this is coming off of a bio of yours online where you were recording, um, on location, uh, to two track PCMF one.
1: Yeah. When I I went to, I went to Berkeley as a jazz comp arranging major. Okay. Um, And so I was in a band and with my drummer, we put together a little studio and the way that I actually learned to record, uh, all my teachers were playing in huge fusion bands at the time. Chick Corea band, John McLaughlin, Weather Report. Um, so they would have local gigs and I was, Hey, I'll come out and record your band for free. Love it. And so I got a, um, Soundcraft 200, a pair of 414s, a Snake, uh, one of those eighties boom boxes that, you know, you'd see hip hop kids walk around the streets with, uh, that would be my monitoring and no compression. <laughs> and I'd set up the snake maybe in a, in a closet. I'd be in a back room somewhere and just do location recording live to two track. So no compression, you know, you had to just mix it the way, mix it live. And that's the way I learned to do it. And, uh, we put a studio studio together and we were doing all the kids, uh, the composers demos. People from New England School of Music School and Berkeley and Boston University and so I was doing demos and, and a lot of live recording and the way I did I just copied other people's mixes I never learned how to I never took classes in audio I, I did take one but there was fifty people in the class and I couldn't I couldn't see anything so I just gave up and I went into synthesis and co- composition so I just learned by doing and moved out here I walked into a job at Old West as a first engineer just like that never never second engineered anything started doing records right on.
0: What did you learn in the days of recording to two track in retrospect? You either get it right or you fail,
1: you know, you try and, uh, listening because I'm not even in the same room. I don't even see, you know, I'm just listening on headphones or on a, I, I, I have to, your amount of focus of who's playing a solo, what's going on. You know, um, if you have a submix of say an acoustic piano and a couple of synthesizers, the gain is going to be all, you know, someone goes for a lead and you just have to be on top of your game.
0: Just to be clear, you had the 414s, but you were also getting components from the front of house or?
1: No, uh, DIs. I I brought all my own stuff. I was totally, uh, insulated. Occasionally I might get, uh, jump off a, off of the main snake and, uh, or maybe Mm -hmm. get a front of house mix, but that was extremely rare. It was Mm -hmm. always just, I kind of have my own world going. I double mic'd. Where i could i didn't have splitters
0: it seems a lot of your the the things you've done over the years all this live sound stuff all this live t- two track stuff i mean can really kick you in the ass and prepare you better for studio work
1: well at the time like i said we had a little we were running digital performer on a mac plus and it was synced to a two uh with Simpty to an eight track that was okay. our that was our our uh, little go-to we had two we had a, a like a Ramsa console and a little Soundcraft console and we, uh, hunkered them together. And that was our, our setup in a warehouse, had a little control room. So with that situation, when we were doing demos, things were a lot more controlled rather than on location. But, uh, the good thing was that I, at that school, and I, I, I can't say enough, I love Berkeley. You meet people from all over the world. Normally they're very, uh, chops oriented, you know, technique oriented. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Their gear normally sounds great. So you're kind of dealing with people that are, they're not rock sloppy rockers that are playing on a Marshall at on 11, you know, with a singer that's screaming, you know, it's technique oriented music, whether you, and you get to do samba, uh, straight ahead jazz, big bands. I recorded classical ensembles, uh, a lot of fusion of the day, diversification of the people that you meet and how you interact with people and kind of see different kinds of music as a real skill builder.
0: And I would assume that your musical training and upbringing directly influences your, the way you operate.
1: I have my likes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there, there are people that, that I always admired when I heard their records and, uh, and certain engineers that actually, one of the things that I did is when, especially on the fusiony side of the world, um, I tried to copy other people's mixes just like you'd learn guitar licks. I tried to copy the mixes. And even to this day, I still do audio ear training where I will take a record, either a record that I love or a record that I, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't really, I don't know about that record. And I'll take it apart. I'll sit down, I'll write out the arrangement. I'll start going through the, what effects are used on what part? Is that, is that a lot of compression on that part? Why do I really like those harmony vocals. What's the story with that? You know, and I rebuild somebody's mix in, in what I can decipher from my knowledge. And mm. I still, I still do that to this day. And I'm, I'm old.
0: <laughs> what do you feel that you learn from that exercise?
1: You double check your hearing. You kind of say, well, what's the kick drum? This is the kick drum, that kick drum. It's a softer sounding kick drum. You know, it's a double headed kick is there, how many mics do you think are on that kick drum? Is there a room sound? How big is the room sound? What does that mean to the rest of the mix? Mm -hmm. You know, is everything really drying in your face? Are there effects on the vocals? How are the effects used? Just analyzing the production of other people's of how things are placed in the mix gives you a better sense of um, how to do other styles. And it just, it's a chops builder. And as musical styles change over the years, uh, you know, the way that, especially with regards to electronic music, what is hot one year is not another year. The way the bass uh, does a certain thing or whether uh, there's a flanger, it's very popular maybe this season to have a flanger on your bass or a sub-bass. Staying up on styles and what makes music happen is such an advantage. I know a lot of engineers that they like what they like and they stay in their genre, but the best thing that I've learned, especially being a live sound engineer, is when a guest engineer comes in and you learn how to mix in a, in another style, and that that's been great, great, gr- great. That's my that's been my teacher.
0: Let's go. Let's go deeper into that concept. Uh, as far as you know, you mentioned being old. I think we're we're probably <laughs> we're, we're probably you're you're in your late forties, right? I'm fifty six. You're fifty six. Oh my God, John, you look so much younger than fifty six. <laughs> you're the handsome yeah. one on this interview, but you know, oh, no. great base uh, for radio here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of engineers live sound or studio studio folks they they tend to you get the the grumpy curmudgeons that just avoid new styles of music yeah and and i and i have to say i've been guilty of that so we have all have and it's tough because how do we avoid Not becoming so cynical and hearing new styles of music and going, "Oh my God, look how they're look what they're doing," or listen to what they're doing with that effect. That's ridiculous. It wasn't supposed to be used like that. And I'm sure you know, for many of us, when I say that, many people probably think auto tune and how that was overused and abused in the share song. That's a
1: perfect example.
0: Keep going. How, How can we avoid that? How can we not be
1: the old person in the room here's what happened for me at one point i was that guy i was that grumpy i've done your band before i've seen a lot of your bands there's nothing you're going to tell me new about what i got it going on i know it's up i hit my 40s and i kind of realized wow well that was kind of a waste of an attitude (laughs) you know why am i why am i hating on this music and i kind of refocused on on being a fan Like the reason why I even got into being a musician is because I was a fan. I love music and it's kind of getting back to the love of music. I mean, I travel and go to festivals for my own enjoyment, not just a gig. I just went to a day for night in Texas. I'm on my way to Big Ears, which is an avant-garde festival of like with Diamante Gallas and Anushka Shankar and the Rova Sax Quartet, really remembering why you're in it for the love of music is is a important thing. And the other thing, there's a meme that goes around on a lot of sound engineer posts that are I was around when all the cool bands were were going on. But when you realize this is a huge world and with the internet, there are more amazing moments in music than ever before in history. Ever before. It's different, but there is more adventurous great things whether you're into classic rock, noise music, jazz, whatever. There's a huge world out there and you just don't, there's always something new that you can find that that'll blow you away. And so I, that's what I try and focus my, my world on probably. And I'd like to ask, actually add one thing. I owe, I owe a really big thanks to two, two people or two entities in this town. One of them is Aquarius records, yep. uh, Wendy Chen and the other is KUSF, which yeah. was, uh, one of the best friends for music that that a guy could have in this town it it was it was the moment where you found out about that one cool band that nobody knows about and you're like wow i'm in on that moment or someone's digging in the crates and they whip out a record a soul record from 1965 and you're like holy smokes i never even knew about that and now it, it sends you off on a tear and so you buy three of those albums you know it's the Getting back to the love of music and why you do it, you know, you can be stuck in the past, but look towards the future, you know, and be here now.
0: With regards to new music, there's a lot of new music that I hear that's probably, you know, I'm probably being exposed to more popular mainstream type stuff that just seems to lack originality and uh, arrangements. I think
1: you're you're being kind at this moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I am and 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 I think I I really started to hone in on it a little more about what it was that was bugging me about some new music when I talked to Eddie Kramer. Now, Eddie was saying his one of his beefs, and I'm paraphrasing what Eddie said, but he was talking about how there's a lot of people today that just you know push a button here, push a button there, copy and paste a phrase here, and mm-hmm. things become repetitive and there doesn't seem to be a lot of imagination and a lot of good arrangement sensibility.
1: That's true. Arrangement, yes.
0: That caused me to go back and listen to some Jimi Hendrix stuff that Eddie had worked on and, and kind of re-explore that. So when I try to be open to new music, I, I really do my best to just kind of open my heart to it. And many times the things that makes, makes me shut it off is it just doesn't grab me. It just doesn't. And I'm not saying that for all new music, but a lot of popular new music.
1: There was an article recently in the, I'm going to go out on a limb here. God save me. Uh, there's an article that just showed up where Bono had made a quote about rock music being a little Femi in Rolling Stone magazine or a little girly. I believe he, he once what he said. And, and I think a lot of people mistook that moment as being, a. Uh, about women in music. But I think what he was talking about was a certain lack of just rockness. I don't know how to good way to put it, you know, um, Jimi Hendrix rockness as opposed to Mumford and Sons rockness, uh, the Jesus lizard rockness, as opposed to, um, some other bands, which I don't want to, I don't want to diss on other bands, but, uh, there's a certain amount of, um, like you said, cut and paste arrangements auto-tune making everything perfect and um and yeah I, that, that can be disheartening you know but that's why you got to do the search i mean college radio is is your is your hope those are those are the kids that are digging in and looking for those kind of bands that that Brit, that are away from that moment you know and and to be fair commercial music has its own art of making something sound like you buy it at target and it's really great And there's an art to using all that gear, but it's kind of not where I want to be in music.
0: There's some pop music that I think really can grab me sometimes that, I mean, and people are going to laugh, but I mean, I've heard Britney Spears tunes. I've heard Katy Perry tunes that grab me that are really well done. And then I hear some kind of, you know, oddball group that shows up on the Grammys that everybody's cheering about. And I watch it and I'm like, I don't get this. What what is it about this? It's...
1: Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Please, um, can I can I recommend a record to you? Hazards of Love by the Decemberists.
0: Okay, I'll check that out.
1: It is a stunning, stunning album, audio wise, compositional. I, I think it'll be right up your alley. It's it's uh somewhere between Americana and uh, indie rock, and it's a concept album. And the the engineering on it is phenomenal. It's the kind of thing where if you were to get together with a bunch of engineers and everyone's like, here, let's try and impress each other with a really great mix, you know, or like when you walk in, when you're at the NAMM show and somebody's playing a cer- certain kind of a band, you know, this this band would, would be that moment where you're like, wow, these speakers sound amazing. This mix is great. I think you'll really love that one.
0: I find that in the world of audio, to some degree, there there's a little bit of... Uh narcissism that goes on in the world of audio where we where we're constantly just looking mm. at what we do and our thing and 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 where mm, and i think that yeah. the music really is where we should be focusing we we get so obsessed with our gear and and, and our oh, toys and
1: you know what's funny is the guest engineer will come in and you'll look at the way that the gain structure is set up or you'll see like oh wow you're kind of clipping that channel or whatever but you listen to the mix. It's like, wow, that sounds really great. A lot of times. Yeah, we do get obsessed about how a certain piece, especially as you're the house engineer and you're looking at somebody else's mix or they're judging you as to how you're building your audio. But in the end, it's what's coming out of the speaker. You know, if you, I mix from a fan point of view and the aesthetic of whatever the band wants, if they're a crushing loud band, I mix it crushing loud. It's. If it's Herbie Hancock trio, I mix it a certain kind of way. Gear is super important, and it's not important at all. There's like a list of, like Madonna, Borderline is an SM57 in the control room. Peter Gabriel, SM7. Boston, more than a feeling, one-inch, eight-track. Think about the Boston first record with triple-track guitars, all those harmony parts. That's one-inch, eight-track. Beatles, four-track, you know. uh, there's, There's moments where you don't need 50 tracks of audio and full-on automation you know the campfire tapes michelle shocked recorded on a pro walkman number one record in england for like seven 17 weeks a pro cassette walkman pro cassette walkman whoa think about that for a moment and that's a number one record so uh gear is important vibe is super important
0: John Carr here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. We're going to pause from our conversation with John, and we're going to talk about our friends over at Audio-Technica, or AT, and uh, you know that if it's the week of January 22nd, I'm going to be stopping by periodically over at the Audio-Technica booth. I always do each day. I probably stop at the booth, I would say, an average of, I don't know, probably three times a day stopping to talk with my friend Gary Boss. That's over at booth 15311. So if you need to know anything about AT, you should stop by there too. You should have a look around. And uh, that's at booth 15311. And once again, if you want to talk about the stuff and you want to find out the details, if you're a total, you know, uh, specs person uh, that likes to look at every aspect of every product or, whatever product it is you're looking at, Gary is the guy to talk to because Gary knows everything there is to know about AT products. So stop on by Booth 15311. That's it. Let's get back to it. John Carr here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I primarily know you as a live sound person, but I know that you do studio work. So tell me about that world. What do you enjoy about that as compared to live sound?
1: One thing is you... uh in in a live scenario, you have to get your hustle on and you have to connect to people very quickly, whether they're in a good mood, they're in a bad mood, kinda feel their vibe. So when you're in the studio, you're you have a lot more leisure time, a lot more time to kind of like, well, I can try out five microphones on, on your lead vocals. Mm-hmm. In the live sound, you know, you gotta get it together fast. I've been fortunate enough in a lot of live sound situations to do multi tracks of bands while I'm tracking. So I have a lot of live album credits, including Ellie Golding, uh, view Fakatore, the African guitar player. Um, but I've also done the Merman, a series of records with the Merman, Brian Jonestown, uh, the mommy heads. It's a different animal, but at the same time you can make decisions faster and you're not afraid to try things. Uh, whereas I think in the studio people take a lot of time, there's that story of uh, Fleetwood Mac spending a week on the snare drum and things like that. I'm tend to make decisions a lot faster and, and to move a lot quicker, but I'm also more thankful to be in that situation where I'm, I don't, I can get up and get a cup of coffee and say, Hey guys, let's take a break for a minute. So most of my clients are, are local bands to medium level bands and with the occasional upper medium level band.
0: You know, and it's interesting. You talk about having to in the live world having to really quickly bond with somebody, uh, or or get get you know get friendly with them quickly to get results. And yeah, and I will say that one of my personal weaknesses is is I'm not aware of it a lot. Is that I can say things. It's not necessarily what I say to somebody. It's sometimes the tone of my voice, and sometimes people are offended by that. And it's and I it's mm. it's something I've struggled with over the years to really kind of make sure I don't sound condescending or sound mean spirited because I'm just asking a question. And sometimes that tone of voice can really uh, greatly affect somebody. And I and I know that firsthand because I have two kids. And sometimes my wife will look at me and say. <laughs> God, that sounds really harsh. I'm like, I I was just asking a question. I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm just, you know, so you will always see very sweet to me, very, very kind. And, and, and so I'm curious about how you've worked that or have you struggled with any of the things I'm talking about?
1: I think more in my thirties, I think a lot of sound people, they're overworked and underpaid and underappreciated. You're in a loud environment. And if you're, and if you're trying to work a five day week, that's an average of uh, a ton of bands, (laughs) you know, more bands than you want to know about. And then you times that together. I think I have at this point about 20,000 live mixes under my belt. Wow. That's setups and teardowns. It's including DJs. I mean, it's, I've been gigging for a long time. And the one thing you try to, even if you're in a situation that you don't like, and let's face it, you can't always pick the best clients, you know? Or be in a situation where you love all the bands. So I, one thing I do is I connect to something positive on the stage. It could, I could hate this band with all my heart, but the guy has snakeskin cowboy boots, you know, or a Black Beauty snare from 1967. And I'm like, wow, where'd you get that snare? And I find moments that are positive connecting moments that make our relationship as tech and artist connect. I try and also figure out where their sense of humor is and humor is a great, a great way to lighten up the situation. Um, some people don't want to know about, uh, the tech they they're get in, get out and see you later. Some people are extremely, uh, uh, want to talk to you about every mix move at some point, like I said, getting over that moment of, of that kind of jadedness and getting back into the appreciation of music. I have to deal with so many different people of different walks of life, people from africa, people from jamaica, guy from new jersey, people from southern california, rocker dudes, you kind of figure out how where the ebb and flow of that energy and that conversation is is going as a band, share some war stories, lighten up the feeling. I bring that into the studio too, but in the studio you have more time to kind of see people and as as and get into their interpersonal lives, uh, their dynamic, but when you're on on the gig, it's, it's a little more, you got to be a little quicker as to reading the situation. And so humor is, is a good way in.
0: And sometimes a, a musician can come off, the, you know, come out of the bus, out of the car, the van, whatever it is, step onto the stage for the sound check, and something may have happened on the way there that has something that has nothing to do with you. And their attitude is right off the right from the get-go is bad and that can the lead on to, onto you. How do you keep your cool?
1: Do you like to keep your job?
0: Absolutely. I mean, there, are, I have, I have war
1: stories of people that whose behavior your kids would be on restriction for a year for some of the behavior that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, where you're just like, Oh, are you kidding? On the other hand, there are people that have, okay, I did a show the other night with, uh, the blow and uh, a local artist named Emma. Their tour manager had just stolen all the money from the tour and split, and he was the sound engineer for one of the bands. It was a completely insane dynamic. On top of which, on the way to the gig, they broke down on the bridge. (gasps) So not only are they late getting to the show, their tour manager is just split with all the money, and their car's broken down on the Bay Bridge, and they're trying to get towed into the gig. So you can only imagine the emotional situation of being frazzled and they're just like, can we even go on? And at that point, they're, they're just happy to be, to have made it to the show. And so at that point, you know, I rise to the occasion of I'm so here to help you. I'm uh what can we do to make this right and help you get to the point A to point B. So, I mean, that's another, another, where it's not necessarily you're in a an angry mood or, but, you know, a, a situation you needed to overcome and now you got to do a show and present your, your thing. And by the way, that's, there's like 16 tracks of pro tools. There's like, you know, seven people in the band. It's, it's a big production. And it's like, by the way, here's our show. And we don't have our engineer.
0: So. <laughs> you, you, you have a, you have the package of the emotions that come along with the technical requirements. You have your emotional requirements and your technical requirements and you got to make those two work together.
1: I, and the other thing I have to tell you that getting older, you realize, and I mean this in, in the most sincere way, I love my job. I love what I do. I mean, I could be flipping burgers. I could be working at a, at a law office. There's a million things in the world that, that you can do to our career paths you can have, but I thoroughly enjoy making other people's musical dreams come true. You know, whatever their vision is, whatever their style is, psych rock, dub reggae, surfing, surf music, acoustic folk music, straight ahead jazz. My goal is to make what they do sound amazing and to do it in a way that, you know, I'm here to provide the service of of making that happen. And and I love doing it. It's kind of a newfound uh, appreciation on life. <laughs> very, you're very saintly
0: in that way, John.
1: That's That's one of the things that keeps that about the jaded sound guy part i honestly to to be truthful about a year and a half ago i was involved in a very bad accident and i lost the use of my legs and i know it's terrible i i probably i was involved basically we were drunk we're playing frisbee in the park i cracked my hip and i ran i ran into a um, cement park bench cracked my hip caused nerve damage in both of my legs i was pretty much incapacitated for six months and i had several operations i am back full effects. I can run. I'm nothing but happy about life now. So that's a big part of my, my positivity. Like, yay.
0: Well, the, I was just going to ask, <laughs> let's, you know, I was going to say, well, let's, we're talking about, you know, taking care of bands and artists and, and, and the technical and the emotional, but what about taking care of yourself? Tell me about that time.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I was having a great time. It was one of those epic summers in San Francisco and barbecues, volleyball, And you know, accidents happen. That's another thing. I, I know plenty of engineers that don't have any kind of insurance and insurance certainly saved my ass, even just covered California. And I, I cannot recommend enough having some sort of personal backup. Otherwise I I would be financially wiped. But in terms of taking care of myself, the one good thing about live sound engineering per se is, you know, your hours are starting in the late afternoon till the late night. So you have a, Enough daytime where you can uh especially in the bay area, you know you're two miles from the beach, go to the mountains mountain biking there's i live right near Golden Gate park, and so uh there's enough time where you try and build in healthy qualities into your life because Lord knows the world of sound engineering and and um touring and can really wreak havoc on your on your um on your health
0: wow so that you were down for six months
1: yeah it was uh, i was fully disabled, uh, operations
0: went well. I'm great. Oh, I'm so glad to hear. And I'm sorry that that happened. That's, that's awful.
1: <laughs> it's, it's one of those things you just don't know. And that's the thing. You could easily be up on a ladder slip. Oops. Uh, so many times I was up in, a without a cherry picker on a, on an a-frame pulling speakers out of, uh, you know, something then trying to lift them down to somebody. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of physicality, that's another thing. There's so much physicality in, in, you'd be surprised in, in doing live sound, you know, you're lifting an amp on the stage, you're bending down, you're reaching around the drummer's, uh, kit to pop in the one cable to, uh, you're running uh, a snake up, uh, up in a ceiling, uh, you know, and there's, there's a lot of physicality. It's, it's not like working in a bank.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of chance for pinching nerves and, you know, slipping discs and, Really hurting your back, yeah. I know a lot of people that are their, their health could be better. Well, in kind of a, a, a transition and a tie into this, uh, financially speaking, how did you make that work for a six-month period? Because lives, well, audio people in general are notorious for living somewhat paycheck to paycheck.
1: I, I bought an instrument, a, a, a dream instrument that I've I've wanted for for many years. And uh, it was going to be my retirement moment, <laughs> and I, I ended up using that to finance my, um, uh, my life for that six months.
0: What kind of dream instrument are we talking about?
1: I had a 1960 uh, 335 in mint condition, mm. cherry red. I also have the matching bass. It was an epic guitar. I loved it, but um, that's one of the things, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So And oh, that's the other thing, very important, is that normally... When you're paid as an independent contractor, taxes for workman's comp and stuff like that are not taken out of your paycheck. So when you go to file for disability, you don't have that. In fact, check this out. I got turned down for Music Cares because I was not sick enough.
0: Okay, you're going to have to explain that. You're not sick enough.
1: Music Cares is a grant program for people that are in the industry that need an assistance moment, like you're injured or you have cancer or something like that. And I basically applied for that grant and was turned down because being disabled uh, in that way did not qualify me. There were other people in higher need. And I I understand that, but, um, that's why when you pay your, and you're doing your taxes, you're, and you're doing an independent contractor, make sure you pay into disability. Otherwise you will not be able to collect on that at all.
0: Wow. Okay. That's good to know. Please, please learn from my, please learn
1: from my lessons here.
0: Music Cares is a part of, uh, of NARAS, the National Association of Recording Arts and Sciences. It's a, it's a it's a it's a subset of the Recording Academy, correct? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I've known it to help clients of mine who've had cancerous growths and had to you know check into the hospital and spend some time. So it's been a, a lifesaver for many for paying bills. But that's really disappointing to hear that you were turned down
1: there. There are other people that, that are in worse condition. And yeah, so I'm, I'm thankful that everything for me worked out great. I have, I have no complaints. How did you get around? I didn't. I mean, I, well, I mean, I had a friend help me into an, into an Uber so I could go to the doctor once every couple of weeks. Otherwise that I was bedridden and I had friends that helped me do laundry and
0: do shopping for me. Mm. I watched a lot of Netflix. I bet you did. <laughs> So tell me, as I was saying, just a bit of a transition there. Tell me about your perspective and your approach. And I'm sure it's always a work in progress on money management as an audio professional,
1: have a great accountant. Have a- that's that's my only advice for you there. Okay. Uh, I don't really have an approach. I mean, you work, collect, save your money, try not to overspend and pay your bills. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm not getting rich uh, here. Mm-hmm. Although I do, I do s- buy and sell a lot of gear, but that's more of a, that's just part of my fetish. That's, is, fetish is that a moment. bit of a hobby there? <laughs> you know, who doesn't love gear? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's your, your gear lust? Uh, how, how's that, uh, treating you these days?
1: Uh, it's, it's good. You know, uh, I mean, there's, there's, I have some things on my wish list right now, uh, saving up for, uh, it's just kind of hard to justify a pair of $5,000 monitors
0: you know but uh I hear i hear they sound good don't you hate when you come across a piece of gear that you use in a work context and you fall in love with it in that work context and then you then you look at the price and you're like oh
1: damn it yeah that's why um god invented plugins
0: yeah yeah no, just kidding. well unfortunately uh yeah there are no plugins for speakers and i've recently had some lovely uh, interactions with uh, the barefoot mm27s that's what i was
1: that's what I was kind of crushing on. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I was over at shark bite recording, uh, this, you know, Americana social club and was just like, Oh my God, I love these speakers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm there with you. Man. What can
0: you say? Well, uh, work-life balance. Do you have a significant other? Is there, is there, you know, fa- family in your life or are you just a, a, a lone wolf? Um, I have, uh, I have a,
1: a relationship on the side here where, uh, we're kind of, a. It's, it's liberal. It's complicated. It's not complicated. And, uh, I don't have any kids. And so it may, that's, that's helped me, uh, in terms of being able to afford more things and also to be more flexible in terms of my time and what I do for sure.
0: Do you find it difficult to carve out time for, for relationships?
1: I've been lucky enough to work, to actually date someone in my industry and another artist person so our time we don't have to do uh 24 7 with each other or every night so it's uh life is is a lot more easy
0: there's no at this stage how come you're not home at five o'clock eating dinner no none of that (laughs) that's good
1: no no it's it's good it's it's uh we both have a career make time for each other and and enjoy the time that we have yeah and so we, we have it's 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 a balanced uh relationship for both of our personal lives and our work lives.
0: Yeah. I've been asking this a lot lately. How are you, how do you deal with disappointment and failure? Sometimes, sometimes easier Yeah, and sometimes not, you know, uh,
1: my ex-girlfriend was amazing at, at overcoming obstacles that I thought were insurmountable and she could let it go. Like, yep, that was terrible. Move on to the next thing. I was amazed because sometimes I'm, I, I, Try not to beat myself up, or I if I fail at something, I'm. How did I do that? Or why did you know? Sometimes it takes me a couple moment, a couple times, of failing to be. I'll never do that again. The more you can let go and be, uh, and and forgive yourself for for your failures, obviously the happier you can be, and certainly the sooner you learn that the the difference. Mm. You know, you don't want to repeat that, that mistake too many times.
0: And on the flip side of that. What are you good at? What do you think you're really good at that you're proud of in the world of audio?
1: I, I can, I think my hearing, my hearing and my ability to deliver a wide style of, of music and a wide style of mix, mixed styles. I mean, I've learned to do other people's, whether it's like, if you want it to sound like your 1974 dub reggae, I can do that. You want to sound like modern music. I can do that. I cannot do R and B. I'm terrible at it. I know where my limitations are but i i think my hearing is really where it's at that's a good thing to be proud of in this industry <laughs> uh, it is uh, i mean uh, i i have almost perfect pitch or my, at least Ooh. good my relative pitch is, is extremely good i can hear detail pretty well so when i'm putting up a mix i can listen to something and go oh you don't hear that 2k little buzz on the on that amp that's going this is something you know i'm i'm detail oriented and in fact i'm good at complicated I'm good at doing like, you know, a 16 piece band that's playing crazy stuff or a world music instruments. I'm, I understand like what it takes to make something that you've never heard before. Sound great.
0: Yeah. So you're not a, you're not a person with OCD. Are you not really
1: not so, not so OCD. I'm not, I'm not, not obsessive about it. in fact, that's, that's the live sound part where you're, you got to move fast and honestly boost cut, Whatever it takes to make that sound sound great in a speaker, that's you just go for that. Sound is a problem to be solved and then an, an aesthetic to be achieved. Hmm. You walk in, you look at where all the problems are at the gig. You say, okay, Marshall stack, but tiny little girl singer in the front of the band. Um, oh, ground problem here. Or, you know, you try and sort out where all the, where all the technical problems are and you solve those problems first you do your prep. And then the rest of it is about achieving the aesthetic of, of the artist.
0: John, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on. I know you had a, a late gig last night, so thanks for uh, getting up to chat with me and yeah, man, enjoy your weekend. Thanks.
1: I'm off to, uh, I'm on a four day run right now at four different venues. So cheers. Thanks for having coffee with me and I'll, uh, see you at NAMM. All right. I'll see you there.
0: Thanks, John. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Take care. John Carr here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Great to have John with us and glad to have you with us today. But we are out of time, so we, of course, have to thank everybody. And that includes, of course, Mr. Cliff Truesdale, Mr. Chuck Smith, and Mr. Cole Williams. I want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Focal Monitors, and Lawton Audio. And I want to thank you for listening as usual, and I appreciate that. So until then, take care.